All right, I was like, good evening, good evening. What is Chos Baruch Hashem? He back to Mesech's brachas. I, I, I do hope that everyone did have a chance to chazer a little bit over, over the weekend. The nice part about, uh, you know, our redefined structure a little bit is we're only doing two blot a week. And at two blot a week, we Baruch Hashem have the opportunity to use Friday, Shabbos, Sunday to really, to really acquire it. So hopefully you had time to do it. If not, excuse me, if not. Okay, fine time. We're going to this week, hopefully to review a little bit. So we left off. Today's daf, tonight's Amid, is Dalit Amid Dalit 4a. And we left off Baruch Hashem. Kevin Shalom Hashem. We left off two, four, six, seven lines up from the bottom. So let's just reorient ourselves a little bit. So remember, we're speaking about the fact that David HaMelech got up at midnight. Right? Again, we actually saw, again, we saw different accounts over here. Did David Amalek get up at midnight? Maybe he was just dozing like the beginning of the day to begin with. But by midnight, he's up. So the Gemara says, remember, then ultimately, again, from midnight up until dawn, he was learning what happened at dawn. Once dawn came, again, time for business. Time for business. What was the business? The first thing, the advisors came in, they say, David, David, Klal Yisrael needs Parnasa. Klal Yisrael needs Parnasa. Needs a lot of Amr Lahem, Luchovis Parnasu Zemiza. So what's the problem? Let them do commerce with each other. They said a small amount doesn't satisfy the lion. The idea is they can't generate enough business internally to satisfy the capital needs of the people. Furthermore, a pit can never be filled up from its own dirt. Now, what does this mean? If you ever dig a pit, if you ever dig a pit and you try to refill it with the very same dirt, the pit doesn't fill up in the same way. So in other words, in order for a society to exist, as wonderful as it is for people to generate business from within, there has to be some type of capital expansion as well. I will say, I will point out how fascinating it is that the first thing that David Amalek starts like the day with is business, is money. If there's not parnasa, if there's not parnasa, if there's not a livelihood, spiritual matters... They, they, they don't even come into calculation. It's very important that in general in life that we recognize that it's only once a person's material needs are met that they have the ability to really focus on spirituality. If a person is, does, doesn't have their material needs met, and when I say material needs, I'm not talking about like a super yacht. I, I mean, just, just like, you, you know, again, a person is able to pay their bills. A person is able to keep their head above financial water. Without that, it's very difficult for a person to really be attentive to their spiritual needs. So therefore, the first order of business in Dalai kingdom was Parnasa. Parnasa. So Amr Laham David says, Go out. Maybe we need to conquer more territory. So let's, let's wage battle. Let's conquer more territory. If conquer more territory, either again through taxes or through things that we'll conquer, again, there'll be, there'll, there'll be an infusion into the economy. They went and they asked Achitov, we'll see what Achitov was in just a moment. They would ask for permission from Sanhedrin. And they would ask the Urim Tumim, we'll say, you can't just go out to war. In the Jewish kingdom, as much as the king is the final authority, but before going out for battle, there's a series of processes that he has to go through. He has to consult the Sanhedrin, the high courts. He has to consult the Urim Vitumim. The Urim Vitumim also refers to the Kohen Gadol, wore a choshen, wore a breastplate. The breastplate had 12 stones that had the names of the Shvatim on it. Inside, behind the breastplate, there was like a fabric fold. Inside of that was the 72-letter name of God that was inserted into the fold, that essentially acted as the spiritual battery 
for the Choshen. What would then happen is, the king or the Kohen Gadol would ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu a question, and the Ribbon Shalom would respond through the Choshen. How would he respond through the Choshen? The letters would light up indicating a divine response. An incredible and overwhelming thing. They literally were able to talk directly to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Ribbon through the Choshen. So you have to consult the Sanhedrin, you have to consult God before going out to battle. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says as follows, Am Rav Yosef, Micro, what's the Pasuk? The Siv, Vacharyach, Itofel, Beneo, Beneo, Yodo, Vev Yasar, Visar, Tzval, Melech, Yoav, so the Gemara says, who are all these people? Achitofel, Zeyois. Achitofel was David's primary advisor. Vechinu, Omer, Veitzas, Achitofel, Shayas, Vyamim, Ahim, Kasha, Yishal, Ish, Bidvar, Lakim. Top of Dalit, 4a. So I will say, first person we have, Achitofel, King's advisor. Next, Beneo, Beneo, Yodo, who is Beneo, Beneo, Yodo? Ze Sanhedrin. He was the head of the high court. The Sanhedrin was the 72-member court that resided inside of Lishkas Hagazes, the chamber of Hewn Stone, which was a chamber inside of the Beis HaMikdash. The head of that court was a man by the name of Benayah ben Yehoyada. Vev Yasar. Who's Ev Yasar? Kohen Gadol. Elu Urim Betumim. So he was the Kohen Gadol. So this, this was, so if you, you know, it's fascinating. David Amal's kitchen cabinet, his kitchen cabinet, was Achitofel, his advisor, Aridova's advisor, Benayah ben Yehoyada, head of the Sanhedrin, Ev Yasar, the coin Gadol. Vechinu Omer Benayah ben Yehoyada, ala Kresi ve ala Plesi. Benayah ben Yehoyada, ultimately again, ala Kresi, what is, what is, Valama Nikar, so I'll say, Kresi u Plesi is another name for the Urim Vitumim. So why do they call it Kresi u Plesi? Valama Nikar Shema Kresi u Plesi. Kresi, Shekarsim Divrehem. I will say crazy because literally, again, when you ask the Urim Vitumim a question, now again, I will say, the Urim Vitumim is another name for the Choshen together with the piece of paper, the piece of paper with the 72 letter name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That together was called the Urim Vitumim. Another name for it was crazy Uplesi. That's a descriptive term, crazy, because when you ask the question to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he answered through the Urim Vitumim, it was decisive. Shekarsin Divrayim, Plesi Shemuflam B'Divrayim. It was a wondrous thing. It was an incredible thing. I will say, you know, we hear about these things and like what's incredible is Halavai Miras Hashem will be able to, I don't know, we're not going to, I don't know if we'll be able, I don't know if we'll see it, but Lamais will be able to know that it's happening again in the third base of Mikdash, which is really such an incredible thing to contemplate. Now I'll say again, who else was part of the kitchen cabinet? Head of the military. Head of the military. I'll say, it's such a fascinating thing. So if you think about it, for a Jewish king, remember again, Judaism believes in a theocracy which is a king who has absolute power, but whose power is bound by the laws of the Torah. But even the king, even in a Jewish theocracy, at the end of the day, there's, there's a system of checks and balances. So the king has a kitchen cabinet. He has an advisor. Ultimately, again, he has a head of a Sanhedrin. He has a coin gadol, and he has the head of the military. Those are the people that the king consults with specifically before going out to war. Micro, what's the Pasik? So now we're going back for just a second. Remember, how do we get into all this? We get into all this because the Gemara said that David Amalek woke up at midnight. Remember again, how did he wake up at midnight? How did he wake up at midnight? Good, because he's right, the harp, right? The northern wind would blow through the strings of the harp and there would be like his, his alarm, literally his alarm clock. So now the Gemara goes back to that. Micro, what's the Pasik that supports that? Ura kivodi, ura hanevel vikinuar ira shachar. So once I hear the Pasuk makes reference to ura hanevel vikinuar. So again, the harp awakens me. Okay. Rabbi Zeir Amar, Moshe li olam haviyadah. So if you remember again, we go back for just a second. The Gemara made it sound like before that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know 
the exact time of midnight. Right? Remember again, when he seeks out Makas Bechoros, the death of the firstborn, the tenth and final plague, he uses the lotion of Kachatzos Halaylo. What does Kachatzos Halaylo mean? What is how it's translated? Around midnight. So the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu says around midnight indicates to us that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know when midnight was. Remember again, so the whole conversation was, well, if Moshe didn't know it, how did David know it? So remember again, what did the Gemara answer? David knew it how? How? Because of the harp. Right? Again, remember, David didn't know on his own. But what David did know was the northern wind blows exactly at Chatzos. So he placed the harp above his bed. The northern wind would come in. He would have Chatzos. So now the Gemara says, in reality, Moshe Rabbeinu knew Chatzos. Right? David Nami Havayada. David also knew when Chatzos was. So if David knew when midnight was, why did he need the harp? Very simple. Las Ure Mishnaseh. Very simple. David knew, David knew when midnight was, but David Amalek also slept. Right? So we'll say, like most of us, I know when I have to get up, I know when I have to get up, but knowing when I have to get up is only part of the battle. Right? In other words, I also need something to get me up, wake me up, right? So Lamaise, again, David knew when Chatzos was, but Lamaise, he needed the harp to actually awaken him. So if Moshe really knew when Chatzos was, then why this use lotion of Kachatzos? Like around midnight. So this is incredible. Moshe Kassigmar says, This is incredible. Moshe knew when Chatzos was. What was he afraid of? Who didn't know when Chatzos was? The astrologers. Now, both say this is incredible. So, if Moshe Rabbeinu says that ultimately again, Cheshbarach will come at Chatzos, and then the next night, the next night, what happens? The astrologers are looking at their watch. So, it's 12.05. God, right? That God of the Hebrews is not here. Moshe Rabbeinu is a liar. God is false. All this kind of stuff. So, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want the people to think he was mistaken. I will say, there's an incredible lesson in like just the way we operate. I will say, most of us walk around life with a certain construct of what we believe reality is. And when something happens that doesn't fit into that construct, what do we say? That's wrong. That's wrong. A person in life has to humble themselves to realize that sometimes that's not wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Sometimes the constructs, the realities we create for ourselves, even the truths we create for ourselves are often incorrect. Not often. Are sometimes incorrect. So the arrogance, the arrogance of this astrologers of Pharaoh is Moshe Benu knew that when they looked at their watch, they assumed 12 o'clock was the absolute 12 o'clock. Right? There was no like, well, maybe our watch is off and perhaps the God of the universe maybe has a better timekeeper than us. No, 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 no. No, no, I know. I know. I know. And if I know it to be correct, then it's absolutely, we'll say, it sounds funny and it sounds like ridiculously arrogant, but the truth is, we often do a lot of this also. Like, we, we just assume that we know what is correct, we know what is objective truth, and when something challenges that, that must be wrong. Sometimes it's good just to kind of do a little bit of an intake and just recognize, am, am I calibrated in the right way? Or perhaps I'm off. Perhaps my timing, so to speak, is off. And what I'm being presented with is absolutely truth. Gemara says, incredible, I'll say, say from Moshe Rabbeinu, said Kachatzos. That way, if you say around midnight there for what? No one's going to get bragis. No one's going to call him a liar. No one's going to call Kash Baruch. So watch this. Gemara says, Damar Mar. This is incredible. Lamad Lashon Chalomar Eni Yodea. 
teach your tongue to say you don't know. Because sometimes, again, if you just make stuff up, you often could get caught in lies. Now, I will say the Chassam Sofer comments on this. He says, what is, why, why doesn't it just say, like, what do you mean, teach your tongue? The Chassam Sofer says something amazing. He says, it is the most unnatural thing for a person to say, I don't know. Why? Because if you say, I don't know, what is that? What is that? So first of all, again, I will say it's a vulnerability. I'm not all-knowing. I know, it's shocking, right? I, I'm not all-knowing. I, I don't have all the answers. To be able to admit that requires a degree of vulnerability and perhaps more importantly requires a degree of humility. So Chassam Sofer says that's difficult for most of us. Now, you should just know it comes from a good place. How so? We are made We are made in the image of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Ribano Shalom is all-knowing. Is all-knowing. So there's a piece of me that likes to think I am all-knowing as well. It's human nature to think we're all-knowing. So therefore, the Chassam Sofer says, you have to teach your tongue. It's not natural. The words, I don't know, don't really roll off the tongue easily. It's a little bit difficult for many of us to say it, to admit that we're not all-knowing. Sometimes you have to teach your tongue to be able to say this. Incredible. Ravashi Yomar, both say, first white line, Ravashi says, now, in fact, again, Ravashi says something different. Moshe Rabbeinu was talking to them on the night of the 14th, the end of the day of the 13th into the night of the 14th. And he t- was telling them, this same time, tomorrow night, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to come through Egypt with the death of the firstborn. So, see, up until this whole time, we were translating as around midnight. Ravashi says, no, kachatzos means like, like this midnight. Just like we're standing here tonight, midnight, same time tomorrow night, makas pachoros, death of the firstborn. Incredible. Let's go right there. The David Shomer Nafshi, ki chosid ani. Shabbos say, Gemara over here quotes the Pasuk and Tilim. Right, so the Pasuk and Tilim says as follows. The David Shomer Nafshi, so again, this is, this is capital Pavov, 86. So the Gemara says as follows. David, a song to David. Hashem, watch my soul because I am pious. So the Gemara says, So what is David saying in this, in this phrase? This is what David was saying to Hashbarach. Am I not pious? After all, normally royalty gets to sleep late. Royalty sleeps until three hours after after sun, after after sunrise. Royalty and teenagers, right? Royalty and teenagers, right? Sleep until three hours after sunrise, right? And me, vani But me, I go ahead. I wake up early. I wake up early. So David Amal says, as, as a royal, as a royal, I can take advantage. I can sleep late. I can be pampered. But me, I'm already up by chatzos ultimately to daven to you. V'idach, the other opinion says, no, no, no. No, no, David wasn't proclaiming his piety. Just the opposite. He was saying, Ribono shel olam. Lo chassidani. Lo, I'm sorry, V'idach, sorry. The other opinion says, this is what David Amal was saying before Achal Shabbat. Lo chassidani. Shekom malche, Mizrachu Meirev Yoshim, Agudos, Agudos, Pechvodam. Normally, I will say, what do royals do? What do royals do? They associate with other royals, right? Who in turn associate with other royals, who attend functions with royals, and congregate with royals, and eat with royals, and go ahead and spend their time associating in, in high society. Vani, and for me, 
Yodai Miluchlochos Bedam Ubishafir Vishilya Kadela Tar Ishalabaila. Dabramelach says, I spend my days literally again with dealing with matters of family purity. The halachos of nida. Literally again, my hands are dirty with the halachos of nida. And I will say, the Marsha points out, this is not to be understood literally per se, but meant to represent the idea that as king, Dabramelach would have had the right to remove himself from, let's say, the day-to-day issues of people. The point that he was making is, even though I am the king, I am actively involved in the day-to-day Issues of people. I will say, you know, it's an interesting thing, right? You see this even, even contemporarily, right? When people are looking for a leader, right? When people are looking for a leader, what do they want to see in leadership? And you see, I think it's much more acute even like now. What do people want to see in a leader? I think even like in our own country, what do people want to see in a leader? Like, <laughs> economy. I want at the end of the day, like, I want you to understand that I'm struggling, that I'm struggling. So I just want to know that you're going to address my struggle, right? I care, just a general person cares much less with what is happening outside of their purview, but cares what's happening in their day-to-day life. So sometimes it's easy for a leader to become so involved in the bigger things that he's not involved in the day-to-day. And David Melech is saying is, I'm involved in the day-to-day. I invite, like, kings normally absent themselves from the day-to-day goings on in the kingdom. Me, Daramal says, I'm actively involved in it. Furthermore, Daramal says, I never make a move without consulting my Rebbe. David Amalek's Rebbe was named Mipi Boshes. Now, we'll discuss that was more a descriptive name than his actual name. V'omerlo Mipi Boshes Rabbi. Yafet Danti, Yafet Chiafti, Yafet Zakisi, Yafet Taharti, Yafet Temesi. Boshti. So this is incredible. David Amalek says, even though I am the king, I am the king, and David Amalek was a Talmud Chacham in his own right, but he was humble enough to say, whenever I issue a halachic ruling, I always run it by my Rebbe, and I'm not embarrassed to do so. Let's say it's incredible. This is, this is David Amalek. David Amalek, right? The father of dynastic monarchy, the father of the messianic line, and what he's teaching us is, number one, let's say no one is too important or no one is too busy to be involved in the day-to-day issues of Klal Yisrael and the day-to-day issues of people. And number two, everyone needs someone they look to for guidance, right? We, we, we all need it in life because especially as we get older, we recognize that we actually have so few answers to life's major issues that you need someone who's like your guiding light to be able to look to, to help you. Man- so the says, I'm the king. Everybody looks to me. And the says, who do I look to? Who do I look to? I look to my Rebbe. I look to me, Boshe. Such a beautiful game. I'm Rebbe Shobre. I'm Rebbe Shobre. I'm Rebbe Micro. I will say, is, is this not Gan Eden? Right? It's, it's, what is it? 9.20 at night. We're learning the Sechas Brachas. David Melech. The world is quieting down a little bit. There's lemon seltzer, right? And alkaline, alkaline water, right? It doesn't, right? It doesn't, it, mamish, like, just olam haba. Sigmar says, I don't even should be dravidi. Maikra. What's the meaning of the Pasuk? I literally again will speak your statutes opposite the kings and I will not be embarrassed. Sigmar says, Tano, lo mi pi Rabbi's name was not Mipi Boshes, Ella Ish Boshes Shmo. His name was Ish Boshes. The Lama, the Lama, Nikra Shmo Mipi Boshes. So why did they call Mipi Boshes? Shai Mevayish Pene David Bahalacha. Because he used to embarrass David with Halacha. In other words, he would show David that David didn't know as much as he thought he knew. Right? In other words, the Rabbi would show his Talmud, okay, you're doing wonderfully, but there's a lot you don't know. And yet, Rabbi said, what happened? And what happened? And David Amalek took it. 
he took it. See, I'll say most of us, when someone tries to tell us we don't know something, generally we dig in our heels, even if we actually don't know what we're talking about and try to pretend like we know what we're talking about. But the greatness of David HaMelech was that, okay, my, my, I, I don't know. I don't know. And he humbled himself in front of his Rebbe to be able to learn. It's incredible. Therefore, again, David HaMelech has a son. David HaMelech's son, ultimately, again, really Kilav is the way it's vocalized, right? Kilav was his son. His name wasn't Kilav, Ella Daniel Shmo. So David HaMelech has, listen to this, David in the schus of the fact that David HaMelech humbled himself before his Rebbe, David has a son, Kilav. Kilav. His name wasn't really Kilav. His name was Daniel. Wow. So that both say, in the schos of the fact that David HaMelech humbled himself before his Rebbe and recognized, literally again, he was so to speak embarrassed. It doesn't literally mean embarrassed, but it means that he followed his Rebbe's guidance because he recognized that his Rebbe possessed much more knowledge than he did. In that schos, David HaMelech was given a son who eclipsed the greatness of David's Rebbe. So David's son, Daniel, who was called Kilav, Kilav ultimately, again, a reference to Machlim, he, he embarrassed me, Bibosh, to be clear, not literally, not literally embarrassed, but it means his Dharma had a son whose knowledge eclipsed his own Rebbe. How did he have a son like that, Abbas? How did he have a son like that? Because he was humble in front of his Rebbe. Now, Abbas, I want to point out over here, it's not esoteric, it's very straightforward. If a child grows up in a home with a father who is humble, and a child sees a father who is always willing to learn from others, who recognizes that he doesn't have all of the answers, who has a Rebbe, someone who he looks to for guidance, that's the chinuch the son gets. And if the son gets that chinuch, gets that education from a young age, the son will also be humble. The son will also be open to knowledge. The son will also have a Rebbe who will humble himself before. And the son ultimately will become the great repository for that knowledge. So Daniel grew up in a home where he saw his father, the king of Israel, humble himself before his Rebbe, Mipiboshes. So this boy from a young age assumed that same midah, absorbed all of this knowledge, and ultimately became even greater than Dov's Rebbe. Incredible. So the Gemara says, I love Amr Shalom Good. David, now once I will say, did David David call himself a chassid? He called himself pious. I think David Amalek says, If only I believed that I would see the good of Hashem in the land of the living. Why, does, why are there dots on top of Lule? I believe that you are going to give good. You're going to bestow good upon the tzaddikim in the future, right? In the in, 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 in last level, can either mean in the world to come, right? Or after we die, or ultimately again in Mashiach. But I just don't know if I'm righteous. So the Gemara, is, the Gemara is bothered because beforehand we said that David Amal said that he was a chassid, he was pious. But did David Amalek really look at himself as someone who's pious? After all, again, here you see David Amalek being played with self-doubt. I know that you'll reward the righteous in the future. I just don't know if I am righteous. Why? Shema Yigrom Achit. I will say, what was David Amalek perpetually worried about? He was worried about that maybe he will sin. See, I will say, David HaMelech understood that a person could have an exalted level of piety. Exalted level of piety. And I will say, all it takes in life is one wrong step to lose your entire spiritual footing. 
Right? I think many of us have had situations like that where I build myself up, build myself up. I'm, right, I'm happy with where I am. And then what happens? Just like I take my eyes off the spiritual road for one moment. I make one wrong turn, one wrong step, one, one poor decision. And literally I feel like the entire spiritual edifice that I have built has all come crumbling down. As that's what we call Shema Yigra Machita. David HaMelech lived with this perpetual anxiety that as much as I'm trying to do the right thing and in this moment now, perhaps I'm happy with who I am, I'm so scared that over time I'm going to lose my footing ultimately again because of a mistake. All right, well, so you know what we'll do? We'll stop over here for tonight. I don't want to keep it any longer. We'll stop over here tonight. Again, this concept of being scared about taking a wrong step in life. We'll pick up with that. Incredible, incredible.